Good morning, Hope Community Church. It is great to be with you guys today. Uh, I want to pray over our word today and get into our message. But before you do, I just want to thank Josh for his invitation and for your community for welcoming us. By the way, when I first met Josh, we actually clicked. We, had, we, we, we realized within five minutes of knowing each other, we have a, a similar vision for the gospel of Jesus Christ is the radical, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the radical change. That, that, that's the only thing that's going to change a heart, mind, and a soul, and a community. So we clicked right away. And then I asked a big question. I'm like, why is this guy so good looking? <laughs> uh, Father God, we thank you, Lord. God, this, this word that you've given us, Lord, is, is life. God breathe, Lord. It's useful for correction, rebuking. It's good for training and righteousness that the man or person of God is thoroughly equipped for all good works, Lord. God, as, as you unfold your word to us today, God, we pray that you continually transform us into your image. So we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, my wife Emily's here. You saw her in, in the video along with our little guy, Max, who's three now. And uh, Max was born on New Year's Eve. He's a New Year's Eve baby. He's going to have fireworks every year. Uh, he just turned three. Our daughter Ava's one. I have a 17-year-old from before uh, I gave my life to Jesus. Anybody have a 17-year-old? She's half normal, half annoying. Does anybody know? <laughs> one of those. We got one of those as well. And our family literally lives in the heart of Chester. And because of my background, God unfolded this message to me through Ecclesiastes uh, labeled Hope in Difficult Times. And um, Solomon has this big question that he comes back to of what is the point for living? What, why do we live? It's a big question. One of the wisest men that ever lived knew God and he came to this conclusion that God made man for a purpose. That God made the earth beautiful and gave us great pleasures that come along with it. But there's a great contra contrast that comes with life versus pain and suffering. It's, it's, it's a great conundrum that we walk through. Solomon, who's labeled the preacher throughout the text, comes to these sayings of everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. There is almost no purpose. What I found is that meaninglessness doesn't come from being weary of pain. And from Solomon's point of view, weariness comes from being consumed with pleasure. So I asked this question, why is life so messed up? And I think we can all relate to this. At some point, somebody in life has asked, why do I exist? What even is the point of living? Literally, uh, two days ago, we, we got groceries and, and I put a, a case of soda on top of our fridge and I was outside with Max and uh, all of a sudden I heard this loud crashing I was outside. And I go inside and we see these 20 cans of soda on the ground, smashed everywhere. Anybody see a soda can explode? It's on the wall, it's on the ceiling, it's inside the fridge. How does it get in the fridge? It's outside, it's everywhere. Like these things that pop up, you're like, why do I even live? What's the point of it? This is horrible. Like, I, I, I wish I was dead. When we look into this text that we just read, Solomon is kind of saying something very interesting. He says, when I returned 
and considered the oppression that was done under the sun. He's spending time observing. He said, look, the tears of the oppressed, they have no comforter. On the side of the oppressor, there is, no, there is power, but they have no comforter. There I praise the dead who was already dead, more than the living who are still alive, yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work done under the sun. We all know evil is alive and well. He can't see anyone comforting, healing, or standing up for injustice or oppression. We all know the pain. Some of you have come today because you have great pain in your life. Nowhere else to run. Some of you are sick. You've lost loved ones. Maybe someone's trapped in addiction. Maybe you've worked your whole life to see your finances go away. One thing we can be sure of in this world is that we will experience difficult times. And those experiences make us question life. Me and my family are experiencing these things through our ministry where we live in Chester. Just a few weeks ago, it was Sunday after church, it was about 2.30 in the afternoon, and we heard pop, 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 pop. Twelve gunshots right on the corner of where we live. Twenty yards from our house, there was a murder. There's a memorial that we can see going out front of our house every single day. There's People knocking on our door, trapped in addiction, looking for help. There's people that come in need of food or housing just a few miles away from where we're standing. Daily stories of challenges. I know what it's like to face a world where there's no hope. Why do you just get up and keep doing the same thing every single day? One thing we know from, from looking at Solomon is he knows that there's a great hope. That there is one great hope. And it's God. He also understands that he can't see past this world. And it's why the preacher, as he's called, says everything under the sun. His wisdom, the, the, the observations from wisdom is, is what's happening in this world. These books of wisdom teach us how to skillfully navigate this world. In Ecclesiastes 3, a few verses before, before, we, uh, before this text, he says, God tests everyone to find out that they're just like animals. Interesting. Now who here woke up and said, hey, I'm just like an animal? He, he, he's talking about the sinful nature. Each one of us will die. Our bodies will turn to dust. He says, I see walking dead people. There's no hope found in this world. There's no hope in pleasure. There's only vanity, meaningless. This was the question that God broke my heart as we were praying for the city of Chester. We asked these questions. What actually will change my city? What will change a block? Specifically, what will change humans? And as you saw in the video, for 10 years, I, I worked at, a, at an urban ministry um, that, that was focused on helping, and we should help people because it's the right thing to do. But when I left, we were giving away a million dollars worth of donated food every year. I found for us as Christians, we were counting the wins wrong. We're saying we're giving away a million dollars worth of food or, or 20,000 food bags. Those are important. We should do that. But at the same time as the church having growing statistics, the crime rate's increasing in my, in my neighborhood. The, the, the dropout rate's increasing. The murder rate's increasing. Things are getting worse. What's actually changing? We should help people because it's the right thing to do. But these things can be vanity too. 
when we get alone and pray, the big question to ask is not what's just going to change my city, what's going to change me? I saw a quote in, in, uh, over, uh, over the holiday, uh, we went to a friend's house and it said, everybody wants the world to change, but nobody wants to change the toilet paper. <laughs> and I was like, what? You're like, everybody wants the world to change, but nobody wants to do anything about it, pretty much. We all want the big things to change. We, you know what happens? In the little. Through God's word, we understand this. Coming out of Easter, we do have a greater hope. We have a hope that Solomon couldn't see in the world. For us that are born again believers in Jesus Christ, we have a greater hope. In the face of extreme suffering or extreme pleasure, the follower of Jesus Christ has hope. Paul says, I'm content with all things in pearl or feasting or fasting, whatever it might be. This hope brings inexpressible joy according to 1 Peter. We're going to look at a few verses in 1 Peter. We have three reasons for our hope. Why the Christian, the born-again believer in Jesus Christ, can navigate extreme difficult times. Because our hope is living. Our God's alive. He's not dead. He also says in His Word that we have a guaranteed inheritance. Who doesn't love a guarantee? Our hope is secure. It's faithful. And this gives us a purpose. There's a reason for for suffering and for going through difficult times. There's a purpose behind it. Peter says this in 1 Peter, verse 3, Bless Christ, we're coming out of Easter. We have this great hope. This is the hope that keeps me going. This is the hope that would move people into action, that me and Emily one day would make a decision, let's move everything we have into the city of Chester, let's live on a block to use our lives and our family to influence people. This is the same hope that God gives us that we share every single day. It's the same hope that I got when I got saved in 2006 in a jail cell. The first time I've ever tasted real freedom in my life was when I was in prison. And guess what? You can't leave when you're in prison. I asked. They don't let you go. There's nowhere to go. But at the same time, God took away all my possessions. He took away my job. He took away my freedom. I had no other cares, nothing else to do, nowhere else to run to, and I get saved. And I realized something. The first time that I've tasted real peace, that I knew I was set free, was in prison. All I had was a connection with God. And it's the first time that freedom came to me. I was a junkie. I was a criminal. I overdosed and died three times. I'm a local guy from Delco. I grew up about three miles away from here. I overdosed and died three times. Lived on the streets in Kensington. I lived a lifestyle that I'm not proud of. That we know most people. Most people have been affected by addiction in some type of way. A friend, a family member, a sister, aunt and uncle. I've been down this road that just caused destruction in my life. Literally, I destroyed everybody else's life I came in contact with. I had no hope. The addiction that I was trapped in caused me to get up every day to do anything I possibly could to get more drugs. If that was lying, cheating, stealing, hurting somebody else, none of those things mattered as long as I could get more drugs. This was my life. When I woke up that time in Delaware County Prison, I was facing a felony charge, which I'm, I, I, I pleaded guilty to. But I realized something. I'm like, I, I never want to be in this spot again. I, I never want to be in a spot 
that my freedom is taken away from me. But I also realized that me being there was a result of my own choices and my own actions. I was the one that did that. And at the time, my mind was so messed up, but it was everybody else's fault. That's what you do when you're in addiction. You blame everybody else. Is anybody good at blame shifting, by the way? Thank you for the one person that raised their hand. <laughs> After I gave my life to Jesus and realizing this, all I knew was I didn't want to be a junkie and a criminal anymore. I was a born-again believer, but I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to behave. I didn't know what to do. Somebody walked side by side with me and taught me the scriptures every single day. All I knew that there was this new hope that I needed to know more about. And this guy, Jared Bush, who literally looked like Donovan McNabb, he's like 6'4", like the best looking guy ever, better looking than Jared, literally walked me through the scriptures every day. A man that I never knew loved me in a way that I couldn't be loved. He taught me that Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. That whatever happens to us here and now is not our final chapter. We have a greater hope of where we're going to. We have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if Jesus rose from the dead, so shall we. Our living Savior knows about suffering and difficult times. He's been through all the temptations we've walked through. And He's able to bring us through. The resurrection makes us new creation. We've been born again through a price. The Word says, you've been bought with a price, therefore you're not your own. This is the vanity that I was living in every single day of living life for me, of looking to please me, of looking to do my own way every single day. In prison is where God taught me to slither out of my bed in the morning and hit my knees, and the first prayer I have, and I back to it this morning, Father God, I don't want to live for me. I want to live for you. Do what you want with this life. You paid a price to purchase me back. Use it for any way you want. Born again from above. The old is gone and the new has come. If you believe that, you have a greater hope than Solomon in Ecclesiastes 4. No matter what we face in life, we get directed back to our King who set us free from sin that gives us an unbroken fellowship with Him. And the Bible says we have a guaranteed inheritance. 1 Peter 4 says, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, I like to make reservations, all right? Here's a reservation that's been set aside for you. It's guaranteed. It can never be taken away. And he says this in 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a place reserved. No pain, no suffering. Every tear is washed away. This is a reason why we can get up and face a difficult world every day. In heaven, we're completely consumed with the love of God and experience unbroken fellowship. It's all that we need. Solomon saw everything in this world become corrupted. Kind of like us, right? Our political systems, the world systems, religious systems, people mistreating one another. I think we all understand those are all alive and well in our times. Our inheritance cannot be corrupted. Can't be destroyed or lost. God's stock market won't crash. It's guaranteed through the Holy Spirit. The Word says the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. 
This doesn't fade away. It will never, ever, ever fade away. Our inheritance will never lose its magnificence. Anyone ever see the movie Elf? So if you haven't seen the movie Elf, I will pray for you personally afterwards. There's this time Buddy is like in New York City and like he finds out like Santa's coming the next day, right? And he's like, Santa! Ah, I know him. That excitement, that awe, that joy. I see so many people laughing right now because you know that. You know that look that he has. You know that excitement, that feel, that joy that you have. That childlike all and wonder. I show my son a blueberry. I'm like, look, a blueberry. You know, he goes, wow. It's so exciting to him. Truly beautiful when our life is consumed with the love of God. I'll never forget the first time I set eyes on Emily when she came into our first Bible study. I'll never forget holding my little ones when they were just born. I've had great feelings in this world that we remember, but guess what? Feelings fade away. The great pleasures we have in this world fade away no matter how good they are, but our inheritance, never. When we have difficult times, these are the hopes that we get to look back to, that God's prepared a place for us in advance. And in that, He's given us a purpose, a reason why there's suffering and pain here and now. In 1 Peter 1.6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That word various trials means different colored. We understand we have different colored trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested with fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ is what changes everything. But Peter is saying, you know what? We can greatly rejoice in no matter what we're facing because these type of trials and temptations, the difficulties we go through this world has a purpose. It's to refine us. One of the most difficult guys I worked with when I was at the rescue mission in Chester, there was this guy, Mike. And Mike was like a hardcore guy that would sit around the Bible studies and hear Jesus, but you knew he wasn't walking with him. As a matter of fact, does everybody know that you, you have like somebody in your world like this person will never believe in Jesus? Like they're just doomed. Like they're, they're, they're never going to believe. Mike was this guy. And um, we, we were at an event and Mike was in the back. And next thing I know, Mike's up on the stage giving his life to Jesus and getting baptized. And I'm like, Mike, what, what happened? I mean, you're, you're, a hard, you're, you're a hardcore dude. What, you're in the, what, how did you, what, what happened? And he looked me dead in the face. You know what he said? The joy outweighed the fear. The joy of coming to a Savior to be set free, knowing I had this e eternal existence with him, was so much greater than the fear of walking down a stage to to give my life to Jesus, or meeting with somebody one-on-one. -on -one. We, well, we started Greenhouse with church on Sunday nights out of our house, and there was this guy, Vinny, who was a biker. I mean, this was like a big dude, scary dude, tattoos all over the place. And we shared the message of Jesus Christ, and, and I could see Vinny's heart starting to beat, and, and right then and there, this hardcore guy just breaks down. 
gives his life to Jesus. He said something similar. The joy outweighs the fear. We rejoice because Jesus Christ takes our penalty for sin. We rejoice because he prepared a place for us. We understand that home, this isn't our home. We kind of have one foot in this world and one foot in eternity, but your house might be your home here and now, but it's not in the long term. We're sojourners in this world. We don't belong here. But while we're here, we have a purpose. Peter reminds us something important about being grieved by various trials. And when he wrote this, we have to remember Christians were being killed for their faith, just believing that Jesus was God, people were killing them. He talks about being tested with fire. And we always test everything with fire. Some of you are going to have cookouts this year. You're going to test your food over fire. Please invite me. I would like to come over and check it out. As a former chef, we test everything before they go, goes out on the menu. We would have a series of testings and cook things through and taste and figure out presentations and develop systems to make sure things are tried and true. We want to make sure that the materials that we do, and even the chairs that you're sitting in, will stand up to pressure. See, some of us think we know who we are. No, you find out who you are when you're under pressure. Like, you find out who you are when they call your number and you're boarding an airplane, and everybody, like, rushes to get into the little spot. Oh, I'm the only one that does that? Okay. We find out who we are when the pressures of our life come in. Those things expose our sin, our weaknesses, our iniquities. It shows who we really are inside when we're compressed. Gethsemane means the pressing. When Jesus was in the garden, he was pressed. Agony before he faced the agony. He was pressed to a point where he ran to his father to pray, even droplets of blood. Gethsemane is an olive garden. They would literally pick the olives and press them to get the juice out. There's a purpose for trials. When trials are tested, trials can refine, they can prove, and trials can uh, change us. And I've learned on the other side of pain is strength. You want to know how I know that? Because I'm 46 years old, and I jumped off a three-foot porch yesterday, okay? And I woke up with extreme pain today. Has anybody gone to the gym to try to do, like, leg day? <laughs> I was with a friend in New York, and, and, and we went out to dinner, and he had this good idea. He's like, let's just walk through Central Park. For, like, three days, I was, like, laying in bed trying to walk around like this. Ah! We, we all know what pain is like. They expose something. But on the other side of pain, we all know that there's strength. We forget that God is always in the process of maturing us in our behaviors that make us consistent with our permanent inheritance. I want to say that again. We forget that God is always in the process of maturing us in our behaviors that will make us consistent with our permanent inheritance. It's a process of sanctification. It happens here and now instantly. We're instantly made holy. But there's a process of God making you holy through a series of various colored trials. Peter uses this great analogy by looking at precious metals, gold. 
It talks a crucible is where gold is melted down. It, it removes the impurities. When you melt something down, the impurities come to the top. That's why when you boil water, water there's this like scum or this film on, film on top. When you melt that down, it's called dross, something worthless that's skimmed off, that's chucked away. And what's left is pure gold, a pure metal that a master workman can see his reflection in. Do you understand that? When a metal is melted down, it gives a reflection. The master gets to see his own face in the reflection. It becomes pleasing unto him. Then it's able to be used for anything that he wants to do. Do you get it? When we're tested by fire, our impurities, our sin, rise to the top. Our fleshly, fleshly desires should rise up, make us aware so we can offer them up to the Lord to be removed, making us in the image of Jesus Christ because He purchased our sin. Our Master then wants to use us and mold us into a useful tool. One man said that God had His hand on the timer and... Uh, one man said God had his hand on the timer and thermostat of trials. The time and the temperature is in God's hand. As a matter of fact, Peter says, greatly rejoice, which I always laugh. I'm like, why am I happy I'm going through this? The word says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, rather painful. Like, why am I happy? Say no. Don't look at now. Look at what it's going to produce in the future. We greatly rejoice because of our inheritance through salvation when we face difficult times. Greatly rejoice means continual happiness. How do we read about men in prison that are beaten and locked up, yet they sing songs of joy unto the Lord? Yet I get cut off at traffic and the first thing I do is beep. Beep, 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 beep. Like, no thanks unto the Lord. Peter says, but when you do good and suffer, Take it patiently. This is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffers with us, leaving us an example that we follow in His footsteps. When we're grieved, this could be physical, it could be mental pain. We all experience sadness, disappointments, stress, anxiety, depression, heartache. We don't skip over the grief. The old school method was just don't believe it's happening and move on. You know, pull up your bootstraps, suck it up. No, we address things. We own where we're at. We look at those things. But we take every thought and make it captive underneath Jesus Christ. We bring it to the crucible where the Master melts it down, skims off the top, remakes us again. Our pain and suffering and difficult times can bring hope to other people. I love this name, Hope Community Church. Literally, we're hope dealers. We have a way to walk through everything. Genuine faith grows stronger through various trials. Why? Because just like going to the gym and building our muscles every week, we have to build our faith muscles. This gives strength to other people, but it also reminds us for the future things of what we're about to deal with. The personal lesson Jesus has been teaching me is be willing to be used by Him to be his tool and his belt again, to expose my weaknesses again, that's pleasure unto him. My response is always arguing and fighting. And, you know, does anybody do this? You kind of like argue with God. Why is this happening? Is there any other way? Can we go through this? 
but we know what it's like on the outside. It's meant to refine and to be remade. And Scripture is full of this. Romans 5, 3 says, Glory in our sufferings, because you know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance develops character. Character develops hope. And the hope does not put us to shame, because God has poured out His perfect love through the Holy Spirit. He says, when God demonstrates His love towards us in this way, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This gives us a living hope here and now. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're walking through, however deep the sadness or the brokenness or the trials that are going on, we have a purpose. We have a living hope. It's the reason why we're able to face various trials and temptations. Because of the living hope in Jesus Christ, because of our guaranteed inheritance, we have a purpose and a hope in difficult times. God is using our current circumstances to develop our character and influence people here and now. This is our big idea. The point of heaven isn't to escape our current situation. Has anybody ever said that? You're like, I can't wait till we get out of heaven. I don't have to deal with these crazy people anymore. Thank you again for the one person that was really on. The, the point of heaven isn't to escape my current situation. It's not to be vacuumed out. It's not to get out of suffering. The point isn't to get out of suffering. You know what the point is? To be useful here and now. The word says if God is for us, nothing is against us. When God says nothing is against you, nothing is against you, he means it. If God is for us, who can be against us? You have that prompting in your heart because you see somebody on the other side of the room and you're like, I don't know, I think I should go pray for them and tell them about Jesus. There's no fear. We go and do it. The point of heaven is not to escape our current situation or to get out of suffering. It's to stand and fight here and now to the end of our lives because of the glorious hope to come. G.K. Chesterton said, a true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what's behind him. A true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what's behind him. God goes before us. He goes behind as well. We see that through the Old Testament with the moving of the Ark of the Covenant. He's before us and He's behind us at all times. We're not meant to just eat, drink, and die and sit under a tree or stay hidden in the mountains. We get to face what's coming in this world and use every ounce of energy we have in us to build the kingdom of God together. Through the preaching of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we can face persecution. Ultimately, the gospel brings us unending joy. I didn't understand it for a long time. I knew this guy who would walk around and say, happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Does anybody have a happy, happy, joy person in your life? No? Okay, thank you, two people. And you're like, why are you so, you're, you're so annoying, you're happy. doesn't matter what we face. The Scripture doesn't promise us happiness, by the way. The pursuit of happiness is not in Scripture. 
Because we have an unending joy, a completed joy. One day we will see God face to face for those that are born again, born again believers where we get united with Him in oneness. And you know what God left? You know what Jesus left behind as His A plan to change the world? Can anybody guess? The church. Broken people. People that have been maybe drug addicts or messed up or sinful, right? It's all of us here. We've been sinful in some way. And God said, I'm going to renew you for a purpose. You're my A plan to change the world is you. Only you can reach the people that are in your circle, in your house, in your home, on your neighbors, uh, your neighbors, on your block, the businesses that you work in. You are the A plan to change the world. We all need hope in difficult times. You're not going to find it in the pleasures of this world, yet we still continue to seek those things over and over and over again. So one thing we can do is learn to value the difficult times, the times when God's stretching us, moving us, putting us through the fire. Because those things are changing you into His image. The Word tells us to be sober-minded, to be battle-ready by knowing these three simple facts that we talked about today. We have a living hope, we have a guaranteed inheritance, and a purpose for suffering. Then we use our lives to live like Jesus. This is the greatest thing that we can leave to the church, is that Jesus Christ is our only hope. No matter what we face, we can have complete dependency upon Him in all times. What we do with that when we leave today is on you. Where do we go from here? What do you do next? Jesus had an in-depth, personal prayer relationship with His Father. It was more important than Him getting coffee in the morning. Everybody wakes up and gets coffee, right? He would get alone with His Father early in the morning, late at night. Find a connection with God. And then during the day, use his life to reach other people. I learned to put my life in balance with the struggles is, is, is to help somebody else. To give away. To be with someone, to sit with someone, to develop relationships. It was the whole idea behind our greenhouse ministry. Is what if we just lived on a block and used where we were, where God planted us, to help the next person. We can offer hope in difficult times to the world. Because when we build relationships with people, somebody should ask you, why are you so weird? Why are you weird? And then we get to answer why. Because my hope isn't in this world. My hope is in Jesus Christ. I know where I'm going, and that same hope can walk with you and talk with you and be your comforter. And this question that Solomon poses, everything is vanity, everything is meaningless, and God's saying, no, everything is purposeful. Everything has meaning. Because it points us back to Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you. And we worship you. We praise you for your truth and your righteousness, Lord. God, you are so good that you've given us a hope to navigate this world, these difficult times that we walk through, Lord. 
Thank you for this great joy, for your word. Bless our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.